confidence. A player's confidence, it can often be fragile. And as coaches, we can feel a sense of responsibility. It feels as if their confidence, it's in our hands. But how much is it within our hands? And what's our role as a coach in building and protecting a player's confidence? That's what we're getting into in today's episode of the Coaching Culture Podcast. Thanks for listening in. My name is JP Nurbin, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Nate Sanderson. Today, we've got a jam-packed episode, so I'll be brief. If you want to learn more about our work, coaching, and supporting coaches, go to tlcculture.com. We've also got some online courses there as well as a weekly newsletter, which gives you the notes to this and every episode of the podcast, as well as some weekly food for thought on culture and leadership. If you listen to this podcast, you should really check out my latest book, The Culture System, if you haven't already. It's been pretty awesome lately, I'm not going to lie, to get feedback from coaches uh, on e- in emails and on social media. Almost every day, I'm hearing from a new coach that it's the best book I've read on culture. Like, that's the common phrase. So go to myculturesystem.com to buy it today or head on over to Amazon. Now, let's get right into our conversation. If you've been coaching long enough, as you and I both have, at some point or another, you've likely been accused by a player or possibly a parent of assassinating, of killing your athlete's confidence. And maybe that's because you subbed them out of a game. Maybe it's because you took them off the first team in practice. Maybe it's because they don't get as much run or as much feedback or as much attention as maybe they perceive other players on the team getting from you. And therefore, they don't feel as great about their game. And rather than take responsibility for their own confidence and their own abilities, they just blame the coach because the coach is the one. They felt great about it going into the season. And now all of a sudden, they're not sure about their jump shot. They're not sure what they're supposed to do in a game. And you are at fault. Now, when we hear this as coaches, I think there's a couple different ways that we can react to that. I think naturally, a lot of us, myself included, we would tend to deflect if we were being really honest and say, it's not my job to maintain the confidence of every player on our team. Like that's an impossible task, number one. And number two, it it seems like that should be the athlete's responsibility, right? Like their mindset, their mentality, their mistake response. These are all things that are their individual actions and their confidence largely builds out of that. And so it's easy for us sometimes to say, man, that guy would be better if he could just find his confidence as though we don't have any responsibility in the equation whatsoever. And as we talked on the podcast many times, just relying on hope that your players will figure it out on their own isn't always the best strategy for success. So JP, we're going to get started here with this conversation about how do we protect and build our players' confidence? But I know you want to start in a little bit different place because I think there are things sometimes that coaches do that do take away from their players' confidence. And sometimes we do those things without even knowing it. Well, honestly, Nate, I've definitely been a coach that's been accused by players and even some parents of killing a player's confidence before. And my default reaction is is the same as many other coaches, which is to just get on the defensive and put it back on the player that it's not really my responsibility. But As time went on, I think I've tried to move to a place as a coach and I try to encourage other coaches to ask this question, which is when a player is struggling with confidence, when they don't don't seem to believe in themselves anymore, we should ask the question, what part have I played in this? 
have I played any part? Like, has, has there been anything that I've done that could have negatively impacted or affected the player's confidence? Because when you look at the research around culture and leadership and all this stuff, you, you look at the and mental performance, you recognize that the environment, you know, an environment that the athlete is in, it can boost a player's confidence or it can negatively bring that down. And we, as the coach, we're responsible for that environment in a, in a lot of ways. And so we can have a, a really negative or a positive impact on a player's confidence. And, and one of the most common ways that I definitely am guilty of, you know, hurting a player's confidence uh, throughout a season is with unpredictability. And I would say two big ways that I created an unpredictable environment for my players. The first was with erratic behavior. You know, one day I'm I'm happy and I'm good and I'm all, you know, building them up and I'm really positive. And the next day I'm in a bad mood and I'm just really short and I'm getting on them about every single little mistake and I'm blowing up and I'm putting them in the line and I'm making them run. Right. Like so my inconsistency as a as a leader and in, in the way that I showed up, like that I think would put your, you know, puts players on edge. And uh, they don't know if it's, you know, hey, did I do something or is it somebody else? Or, you know, like, is this just coach just kind of you know, in a bad mood today? Like, it doesn't mean that we can't have bad days as, as coaches and leaders, but we do need to work to be as consistent um, within our behavior and the way that we lead and, and emotionally as we possibly can be. Um, the other way that it, we create an unpredictable environment is through when we make decisions is not taking the time to explain why we're making these decisions. And this could be when a player, maybe you drop them in the lineup and they drop out of the you know, starting five. Maybe they're, you know, one day they're the first to come off the bench. The next day, you know, they barely even see the court. Um, it, it could be in when you pull a player out of a game, right? If a player doesn't know why you made that decision, now, you can take the approach that I used to have, which is, well, I, they should just learn to trust me because I'm the coach and they need to trust my, my, my decisions. But when they don't know why you made that decision, their brain automatically triggers to usually worst case scenarios, which is coach hates me or it's because I made this one little mistake. And they start to create stories and narratives in their heads that honestly are not good for them. <laughs> and they usually send them down this spiral of uh, a lack of self-belief or the lack of like, well, coach doesn't believe in me. So then why should I believe in myself? And, and so that unpredictability in our decision-making, especially around playing time uh, or roles, uh, that can also really negatively impact our players' confidence. Well, I think both of those are exactly right, JP. And I would add a couple more. I think I had an episode even with my eight-year-old the other day. We're doing a third grade basketball clinic after school, you know, once a week here in the fall. And so Adelaide asked me on the way home, she said, Dad, did I do anything right at clinic today? And I was like sort of dumbfounded by this question because I thought she did every, you know, of course she's my daughter. Of course she did everything right. No, but like she was doing things the way we were asking, you know, asking them to try anyway. And so for me, it was like totally out of left field. And I said, Adelaide, why? I thought you did a great job today. Why, why are you asking me that? She said, oh, well, you, you never said anything to me in practice. You were always correcting other people, but you never really said anything to me. And I thought that was a failure of me to reinforce the things that they had been doing right. So when we don't give players feedback 
even positively, and we just sort of assume, hey, if I'm not correcting you, you must be doing it right. That's a missed opportunity to be able to build some confidence into their abilities there because we're not acknowledging them when they are doing things correctly and they may not see it yet. And I think that's true for players at all levels when we fail to give that specific feedback when they are doing things right. I think related to that, you know, last year, one of the most significant mental health days that we had during this sort of growing season at Mount Vernon was early in January. Um, I put together kind of this spreadsheet of our numbers about, you know, shooting percentage and points allowed and all these different statistics that we had kind of been keeping our eye on to measure our process and growth over the course of the season, even though our record, you know, still wasn't real great at that point. And so I had showed them, you know, eight categories, whatever it was from the season before when they were one and 20, our first four games when we were 0 and 4, and then our last eight games where we were like, you know, five and three or something like that. And it wasn't just that we were winning a few more games, but you could see the trend going in the right direction in every single category that we were measuring to get better. And I remember walking out of that mental health day because I'd been watching the numbers all year, but it's the first time I'd really shared them with the team. And they were dumbfounded. Like they were so surprised that they were getting so much better. They didn't even realize it. To me, it was obvious. And I maybe missed an opportunity, you know, I could have done a month earlier of saying, hey, look at the growth that we're making here. Look at this growth. Look at this growth to start to build their confidence, both in the process and their, in their abilities. But again, it came back to my failure to be able to reinforce the good things that were happening. I saw them. I just assumed everybody else did too. And that wasn't the case. And maybe that that skill of of them being able to see their growth, I know we're going to share some stuff around helping to build some of those skills within our players, but maybe that skill has been underdeveloped, especially as of recently, because we are in, you know, society has taken this, you know, turn where we're constantly trying to give kids self-esteem and we're, you know, doling out praise. And, 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 and I think kids now look for that praise potentially a little bit more than they even used to in the past. But um, you know, I know when my daughter comes out and she's only six and, and we just finished a match, you know, last weekend and she comes to this question she's been asking a lot recently uh, of, you know, how did I do? And, you know, my initial reaction as a parent is, oh, you did great. I'm so proud of you for this and that. And, you know, but I've been pressing pause in that moment. I've been saying and just coming back with, well, how do you think you did? You know, I'm trying to get them to reflect and her to reflect on those things because First off, I'm concerned that she is a bit of a praise junkie in the fact that she just wants me to tell her, oh, you did so great, you know? Um, and our teachers even told us that, you know, like she's very, she needs the, that, that praise or that affirmation, but I'm trying to get her to see in herself what she might've done well, or if she didn't do well, you know, what, what she could be working on. So I come back with that question, but I just mentioned that because I think it's a little bit related, Nate. I, I think there's one other thing I want to mention that I think we as coaches do to kill Kill players' confidence, and that is we're over controlling, and, and we really, you know, I don't want to go down like a path of like you know styles of play for basketball or hockey or you know football and stuff. But like when we control every aspect of the of the game, and and, and how you know, all the, every decision that should be made is is either it's very very clear, it's very black and white, and we're trying to dictate what our players should do in every moment. Um, you know that lack of freedom definitely hurts a player's confidence. And there's a lot of research that would go around. The more sense of control a player has or, or autonomy within their own play, um, the, the, the greater confidence they will have. So I think 
us trying to tone down some of those over-controlling type coaching behaviors, trusting our players in, in game situations, trusting them with, you know, decisions around the team, you know, off the court or off the field, you know, the more we can give them autonomy uh, and a sense of control that, you know, as we'll go into that in a second here, but when I, I see coaches just being over-controlling, I know that that just really kills, kills, kills players' confidence for sure. Well, just to piggyback off that, JP, you know, I'm often challenged myself when I'm thinking about what do I want my players to be confident doing? Is it just, is it just inhabiting my vision for what the offense or the defense should look like? And I've kind of grown to this place where now, you know, if you ask me if I could insert confidence into one thing in our players, it would be, I want them to feel like they can solve problems on their own. And that's a whole different mindset in terms of what I'm trying to create for them or, or opportunities I'm trying to give them to discover that problem-solving ability for themselves, right? And we could do a whole nother podcast on that, I'm sure. But I think that there's, you're right on, the more autonomy, the more sense of control that they have, um, and the more we feed into their ability, even if we don't necessarily know the right solution, that they'll be able to find a solution that will work, uh, I think the better your team is going to perform. Now, I know we want to transition this conversation a little bit here. We've talked about some of the things that we can do to inhibit a player's confidence. But I think, JP, there are also things we can do to start to build a player's confidence, to help them really to discover it for their own. And I think that's probably an important disclaimer here as we start getting into some strategies to you know, further enhance your, your individual player's confidence is we don't want them to get to a place where they're reliant on us to feel good about their game. That's not what we're talking about here. This isn't false praise. This isn't just, you know, tell them you can do it, Johnny, you know, until they, they just do it because they're trying to please you. This is really about helping them to discover or rediscover their confidence on their own. And so I think maybe we need to start this conversation with just a, a bit of a definition of where does an individual's confidence come from? And I think there's really two answers to that question. I think number one, the most powerful source of confidence comes from achievement. If you've done something, you know, you, JP, have run an ultra marathon. If we were to ask you to do that again next year, your approach to that is going to be much more confident the second time than it was the first time, not just because you did it, but because you were successful doing it the first time. So there's a big difference there. You know, if a player has been in a big moment, if they've made big free throws, if they've been in the big game with all of the lights and the big crowd before and they've been successful, that's the most powerful boost of confidence that a player is going to get is achievement. Now, we can't just give that to a player, right? That's experience based. They've got to be in the moment and they've got to meet the moment. So what else or where else can a player build confidence if they haven't had that opportunity yet? And I think that's where we turn to the second part here, which is their preparation. You listen to you know Kobe Bryant talk for like five minutes about just about any topic. It's always going to come back to this idea of preparation. You know, he would say, look, I knew I could make the shot in the big game with the lights on in front of the crowd because I'd done it 15,000 times when nobody was in the gym. Like I've made that shot so many times. There's no doubt that I can do it whether people are watching or not. He's put the work in. And so there are times where we just have to sort of reinforce this idea, uh, similar to what Kelly McGonigal shared a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, that we've trained for this moment. You've taken thousands of shots. We put you in the situation before. You know what you're supposed to do and you can do it, right? And so there's confidence that comes from being prepared for the challenge ahead. 
And so I think oftentimes one of the challenges for us as coaches is sometimes you have players that have met the moment and still lost their confidence later. Other times you have players that have done the work, but they still don't necessarily believe in their ability. And certainly we could say, well, that's their job to figure it out. But I think what we want to tease out a little bit here, JP, is what can we do in those moments to try to help those players to sort of overcome a little bit of that self-doubt and find their confidence for themselves? Well, I think it, it kind of comes back to what you were mentioning there a little bit earlier, which is around, you know, we just don't want to be a cheerleader, essentially, on the, on the sidelines, you know, cheering them on. Uh, as a coach, when it comes to encouragement, rather than cheerlead, I want to inspire, right? Like I want to help, you know, instill this self-belief in moments where they may be struggling with that self-belief. And you mentioned it a little bit earlier too, is which is kind of sharing evidence, right? You've shot this shot a thousand times, right? Or this is why I believe in you. Like I'm putting you in this situation because I've seen you do this before. I, we, we, we've trained for this. We, you know, you've done the preparation. You, you know, it's point out evidence there that can help them remember why they should believe in themselves. I, I think the other thing, as well as providing evidence that we can do to help inspire, is to help affirm them that we'll be there with them through it. Like, regardless of the outcome, I'm right there with you, right? Like, you know, hey, you can make this shot. You put a player in a big situation, right? I know you can do it, but I'm with you every, regardless of what happens here. Just if they know that however it goes, poorly or really well, that you're with them, you're behind them, the team's behind them, that can help fuel their self-belief. But if they believe, think like, well, yeah, coach has said, I, I, you know, I can do this, but like, if I miss it, like he's going to be really ticked off at me or, you know, like there's that insecurity, um, then you know that, that it's good, that, that confidence, that self-belief is definitely going to, going to have a dip. And that really brings to mind, you know, a situation that I had a couple of years ago with a shooter that kind of lost her touch at the beginning of the season, you know, and shot it great in practice. It's one of the reasons that we try to measure a lot of our shooting in practice. And I, I asked this player, I said, if you were trying to get a college scholarship, would you rather take 30 shots or 1500 shots to demonstrate your ability to shoot? And she kind of thought about it for a minute. She said, well, I think I'd like to take 1500 shots because if I miss my first 10, I'm probably not going to look like a very good shooter in just 30 shots. Right. And what I was trying to you know, illustrate with her with this question is that the larger sample size, I think, reveals the ability. And so I then go back to, well, in practice, we've taken about 1,500 shots in our shooting ladder this year. And right now you're first on the team and you're shooting this percentage. And so it's pretty clear to me that you're the right person to be taking these shots for our team. The greater body of work says you're a great shooter. The small sample size right now, where she's missed a few, you know, in games, whatever, is a bit of an anomaly compared to what the data really suggests, right? So when you think about, okay, what's my role in this? In this particular case, I'm trying to convince this player that she's a good shooter because she is. In many ways, I'm sort of like an attorney. I'm like a lawyer that's trying to build the case, you know, to a, a doubtful jury here. And I'm just basing it on evidence and facts of things that we have seen that demonstrate, yes, you're able to do this. You've demonstrated it in practice. Here's the evidence. 
go out on the floor. I believe in you. You should believe in yourself as well. There's nobody else, as you said, that we'd rather be in this role of taking these shots than you. I think that's a great example because whether it's, you know, your jump shot in basketball, you know, uh, your swing in baseball or your pitch in baseball or your, you know, kick or whatever your throws, whatever sport you're playing, there's certain skills that are very related to confidence. And I know from personal experience as a player that coaches have kind of kill, helped kill my confidence as in my jump shot. And I've also been guilty of that. One change that I think helps to instill confidence in my players, one change that I made was instead of communicating all the shots I didn't want them to take, I started communicating, hey, these are the shots that I know you're really good at. The evidence shows that. We've looked at the numbers. You're really good from these spots. I want you to go and shoot as many as you can. And that like freed players up. And I'd also like have a side note of like, well, and don't shoot these shots over here. But the focus was on the shots that I wanted them to take. And so the message players got were coach believes in me. Also, there's evidence to back up what he's saying. And now there's this freedom just to go, I can shoot it whenever I want, as long as it's within these constraints. You know, it's those boundaries that actually became freeing for the player. And I think, too, what happens when you present numbers, statistical numbers or evidence like that, is that you're normalizing mistakes or, you know, failures like misses. And I think so often players go out into the game and they're looking for, they don't want to miss any shot. They don't want to ever turn the ball over. They don't want to miss any kick. Like it's just, or any, you know, drop any pass. And it's just like the reality is mistakes will happen. And I think you've got to help players to ground their expectations. And so by presenting some data, you're normalizing, well, we're not expecting perfection, but when we still look at the numbers here or whatever this, this evidence suggests is that it's okay to have a few mistakes here. Like that's just natural here. Um, I think that frees players up to, to, to play more free. And also when they have a mistake, when they miss a shot, when they turn the ball over, when they drop the pass, they know that that's just part of the process. And it's not like they weren't trying to go out there and play the perfect game and they weren't expecting it of themselves. And they know that you weren't expecting that out of them, that out of them either. Well, I think what you're touching on here, JP, again, kind of gets to a little bit of the root of the thing that can draw, you know, down a player's confidence. And that's really fear. It's fear of failure. It's fear of making a mistake. It's fear of being pulled. It's fear of letting people that whatever it might be it, when they're operating with fear, the brain starts to get into this, you know, these defense mechanisms, anxiety starts to go up and there can be some, you know, challenges that come with that. Oftentimes choking is sort of related to this fear of failure, right? A response from a player. And so what I love about your approach here is that in a lot of ways, you're permitting confidence. In some ways, you're even permitting an overconfidence in a player where you're identifying this is what they do best. This is the best place for you to help the team. If you get in this situation, no doubt, you know, you got three green lights in front of you to shoot it, to drive it, to, you know, whatever it is that, that their job is. So, so you're sort of unleashing circumstantially places where you want them to play with absolute freedom while at the same time sort of enforcing some of the boundaries where maybe we don't want to make a mistake. And I think, you know, in terms of point guard play, if coaches are looking for an example of this, you know, for us in our offense, we want our point guard driving to the basket as much as possible to set up opportunities for her teammates, either to finish for herself at the rim 
drop off pass by the basket to one of our bigs or to kick it out to somebody for a three-point shot. We're trying to get into that situation as many times as we can out of our offense. So if we turn it over, let's say three, four times out of 20 decisions, 20 attacks, okay, those four possessions are going to be empty for us. But the other side of that is if we make the right decision 16 out of 20 times, that means 75% of the time we're going to have a, our best opportunity to score. That's a great place for us to be aggressive and try to make something happen. A bad place for a point guard to take a chance, you know, in terms of what we're doing is if she's trying to throw the ball ahead, you know, to somebody that may not have an advantage or there may be two defenders back or it's a 50-50 ball that might be caught or it might go into the, you know, into the stands, that's a place we don't want to throw a possession away, right? And and so we just communicate about that. And that goes all the way back to us talking about giving specific feedback like we we discussed before. But I, I think you're right on. There are places where we can literally unleash a player's confidence if we're just specific about the things we're asking them to do that play to their strengths. I think another area that we can focus on building confidence, because we've mentioned some stuff to do you know, before the game or, you know, kind of prior to some, some play, I think is post, you know, is, is when they've done something well, how, or even when they don't, when they, when they maybe struggle is how do we respond in that? And I think oftentimes when they do something well, when they make the shot, we come in with the praise as I outlined in my book, you know, the culture system, like in multiple sections of it, you know, there's a difference between praising and affirming them. And when we're praising, we're focusing on, you know, the outcome. We're focusing on their talent or their ability. Uh, but when we're affirming, we're really focusing on, you know, the process or the behaviors or the effort that went into that. And so you can actually affirm when things don't go well. When they make, when they miss a shot, you can say, yeah, but you got your feet set, you know, or yeah, you, 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 hey, you didn't hesitate. It's exactly what we talked about. Right, so you can affirm when things don't go well, and when things go well, that's really, really important. Uh, but also, it's you know back to that you know, example with my daughters. I just I asked that question when she asked me, "Well, how did I do today?" Well, how do you think you did? Because that comes back to these this you know a lot of the research around motivation and drive, and and, and getting individuals to reflect themselves. So, you know, just you might have thought they played it on a you know lights out game, but rather than you jumping in after the game and saying, oh man, you were unreal today. It's just like, hey, how'd that feel out there today? You know, just start from a place where they can share what it felt like for them. They can reflect on the game by them sharing those things, by them stating those things. You know, the, the research and the psychology behind that is that it then, you know, it helps them to feel that, that, uh, that self-belief. That's, that's so often, you know, that belief comes from, us. It comes from the external, it comes from the parents, it comes from the coaches, it comes from their AAU coach that says you're amazing, right? But then it's all hanging on that. And we want their confidence to come from something bigger than we want. We don't want it to come from us or from their parents. We want it to come from within. And so I think, you know, that's a really important question to, to do and also even to challenge them and say, hey, if they're struggling with it or they didn't play a great game and say, hey, here's a chat uh, challenge for you. Go home. I want you to write down 10 things that you did do well, because I know you don't feel like you played a good game, but I promise you, you did some things that were, went really well. Challenge the player to do that rather than you go, no, it's okay. Like, you know, you did this and this and this well, rather than you point it out, challenge your player in a game where they didn't feel like they played well to go home and kind of journal some of those things down. 
Well, that process you described there, JP, reminds me of kind of my the, my favorite story, my signature story that we use with our team all the time. You know, when we're trying to learn about how to build our own confidence, and it comes from Dina Evans, who is the founder uh, or took over Point Guard College after Dick Devenzio passed away. And Dina has this great presentation that she would do at Point Guard College about just how she went through this crisis of confidence in college. So she was the Texas player of the year. She goes to the University of Virginia. They go to four final fours when she's on the team. Her freshman year, she's the sixth player off the bench, uh, or excuse me, sixth man, first player off the bench, kind of the backup point guard, but she's finishing games. She has this great year. Her sophomore year, she starts in that same role, but doesn't play as well. And all of a sudden, like coach starts to lose a little confidence in her. She loses some minutes. And by the time they get to the, the final four, like she's maybe playing four, five, six minutes a game. And then just sitting on the bench, you know, wallowing in self-pity about how she can't play and she can't handle it. And she can't shoot it. And she can't guard. And, you know, just this narrative of negativity over and over. And as Dina tells the story, when she was at Virginia, there was this sports psychologist that was fairly well-known. She refers to him as Dr. Bob. And after the season, she's like, man, I just, I got to see somebody. I got to talk to somebody. I'm going to go talk to Dr. Bob. So she goes to the office of this you know, renowned sports psychologist. And she spends about 15 minutes just, you know, going through her, her plight and talking about how she doesn't believe in herself and she doesn't know how she could ever be the player she used to be. And so he listens and finally she quiets down and she just says, well, what, what do you think? And Dr. Bob just looks at her and says, well, Dina, here's what I need you to do is you're playing pickup ball and, you know, going to workouts over the summer. When you're done, I just need you to write down 10 things that you did well. And that was the end of the session. You know, when she tells the story, she's like, oh, this great Dr. Bob. And all he's telling me is to go. So she's like, all right. So I leave. And over the summer, I go work out and I go play some pickup. And after the games, I'm thinking, what did I do well? Well, my shoes stayed tied during the game. And I write it down. You know, I threw a really nice pass to so-and-so. And she's like, it was a struggle. And it was a struggle because, again, going back to our defense mechanisms, one of the things that's hard when players' confidence starts to waver is they begin to fixate on their mistakes. And that begins to change their inner narrative, right? So, oh, I missed two shots. Coach pulled me out. Dang, if I miss another one, I'm going to lose my time. And, oh, I missed them in practice. So now coach doesn't believe in me. And so all of a sudden, their focus becomes on their misses, their mistakes, their turnovers. And that can be a difficult pattern to disrupt. And so by doing the journaling, as you said, by challenging the athlete, and I'll tell you, JP, we've done this as a team where we've done confidence journals. And every week, players had to turn in a list of 10 things that they felt like they did well that week in order for them to be eligible to play on Tuesday night, that list had to be turned in on Monday just to force them to start recognizing and looking for the things that they did well, because that ultimately starts to change the inner dialogue and it forces them to see maybe it's not always as bad as I think it is. And maybe I can play a little bit. And I had a nice four minute stretch right here. Maybe I can build on that. And all of a sudden they start to pull themselves out of it and find their confidence again. I think the what went well journals are really great because oftentimes, you know, when confidence is down, we're in this spiraling, you know, place of self-doubt, you know, and we're only seeing the, the bad. And a lot of that comes from sometimes though, this unrealistic expectation of how we think we should play. And I think coaches are guilty of this as well, too. Like our team has this amazing game early in the year where we're playing the number one ranked team in the country and we, you know, we keep it close. And, you know, then, then after that, we go out and play like, like crap against, the, you know, some other, you know, sorry team. And it's like, well, yeah, but there's probably a lot of reasons that we 
played really well in that one game. Maybe the other team played like garbage, you know, like, you know, it's just, just, there's a lot of chance. There's, we shot well, you know, one kid that usually never makes shots, makes shots, you know, those type of things. But we see that performance, that really good performance and players do this. We had this one really great performance and we're constantly trying to meet or exceed that great performance. And Steve Magnus and his book, uh, do hard things. Uh, he taught, he has this line, which I love. He says, we need to raise the floor, not just the ceiling, the ceiling being our best performance. We need to focus more so on our average performance. And I think that we should really, and I think a lot of the strategies that we've been suggesting here today have been about helping players to understand where the floor is. And I think even just the what went well journals, it goes back to things that we often ignore as like good things. You know, it's just actually accepting and acknowledging those things rather than just trying to focus on, you know, this, this elite, you know, super performance, you know, best game of our life that we're chasing. And, and I think that that's just a really profound thing to kind of teach and instill, not just within our players, but within ourselves, which is just to really understand what's the floor, how do we raise the floor rather than focusing on the ceiling. Well, JP, I want to wrap up our conversation with just one more point for coaches. And that is, I know we don't want players to feel like they are dependent on us to believe in their abilities. But there are also moments where they do need to borrow confidence from someone else. And I think this is especially true with young people. All right, that's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review and share it. Share this episode if you found it was valuable. Share it with your coaching staff. Share it with other coaches within your school, within your community. And while you're at it, you can head on over to tocculture.com and subscribe to get more free tools and resources to build your culture.